Welcome to Wake the F Up Podcast. I am your host, Alex, along with my co-host, Jamie. Today, I am literally coming out of my skin with our guest, who is a total trailblazer. I am the biggest fangirl. She is the reason that I started my healing journey. And we are here to announce our guest, Alicia Ungaro, owner of Real Pilates. She has left an indelible mark on the industry. She's brought some of the very first mat Pilates classes to the heart of New York City and has been shaping the field for decades with her expertise. A pioneer of the Pilates method, Alicia's journey is nothing short of remarkable. She has used her Pilates experience to improve so many lives. With fitness, media experts, products, and best-selling titles such as Pilates, Body, and Motion, inspiring countless people on their wellness journeys. Welcome, Alicia. Thank you so much for joining us. I am so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, and congratulations on this incredible project and community that you're building. Thank you. It is a new community and it feels very different. So for those who don't know about Alicia and I's backstory, um, I'm a big fat fangirl. I am a host for her program, Real Pilates, her company, Real Pilates, which is massive. It was it was kind of smaller when, when I found you. I think I was the fourth host That's studio, right. which I, I was shocked by that. I'm like a little baby. And now I think, how many okay. did you have? How many hosts? Uh, there are currently 17 host studios worldwide with a few more in the pipeline. I know. What are we, who are we even? (laughs) Nothing I could have imagined and certainly nothing I planned, but sometimes you just open the doors and see what comes in. Well, she is so humble, so she'll never say this, but yes, she did not plan this, but actually behind the scenes, this organization quite literally is trailblazing in so many capacities. Pilates has been around for a really long time, and I definitely want you to talk about that. Um, but real Pilates, if you have it in your neighborhood, you should definitely check it out. It is classical Pilates under the toolage of Romana Krasinowska. And she is, we'll talk about it. So talk about your background a little bit in, in movement. Oh, movement. Um, so <laughs> let's go to the way, way back machine <laughs> for a moment. Uh, I grew up in, um, in the, I guess Brooklyn is not a suburb. It's a borough (laughs) of New York City. It's actually the 11th largest city in all of the United States. Isn't that crazy? Brooklyn is huge. Um, And I grew up in the like the way, way back Italian neighborhood. Um, And I can pinpoint the moment that I determined I would be a moving person. I was literally three years old and sitting at like a card table, like having a tuna fish sandwich. I I don't really love tuna to this day. So it's kind of odd that I was having at that moment. But here we were, and I saw the, the ballet was on TV. I had like a little little TV, and I started screaming to my mom, I want to be a ballerina, a ballerina. And she was like, yes, you're so adorable. Finish your tuna sandwich. Um, and I continued to nag her for like three years. She did not bring me to dance class. I nagged her for three full years, four or five. By the time I was six, she was like this kid. I mean, this kid will not shut up and dragged me to the local dance studio. And I was like, I'm in, this is it for me. I did not leave. So I, I started to move my body very, very early on. Um, probably not coincidentally, probably that in and of itself was a choice, an escape, maybe, maybe a wake up moment. Maybe my too young self couldn't even process all of that. But um, I think that I came to movement that early as a tiny, tiny toddler child, uh, knowing that it was going to be my own healing journey. It's amazing. And then Pilates. We're definitely going to talk a little bit more about your wake up journey, because that is, you know, so this is a little off the cuff. Um, when we get together, 
you know, privately, I think we do talk a lot about, you know, our inner self and our wake up moments. But I think um, today, this is like the universe maybe hearing a different side of you. And I definitely want to talk about bodies. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed. It saved my life. Um, and you are really the reason that I got into mindfulness in a general sense. Like I had a really strong early power Pilates practice, but I didn't have a lot of mentorship. And um, my one mentor hopped and came under your tutelage, and then I followed her. And when I got into our family, everyone who knows my story, the, my family crisis hit. My first husband was diagnosed with really significant nearly stage four um, stomach cancer. And so you were there for me through the whole time. And so I wanted to talk to you about Pilates, but in a different way. Like Pilates is everything. It's actually everything. Like that's kind of weird, but it really is. It's like, it's fun. Yes. It's ripped abs. It's, it's dance. It's choreography. It's strength training. You know, it's, it's everything, yeah. but it's, but it, in an emotional sense, you know, just to let the listeners know, Alicia was tapped into the heart of the method and her soul within it, or maybe her heart connection to it. Um, from the very first moment I met you, because when you asked me to become a host center, you took me out actually for a glass of champagne. Remember that like really, what was that posh situation? We went in a back door in an alley. It was like, I felt what as was though that? I was like, oh God, that was so crazy. <laughs> I was like floating and I had to meet someone and you weren't there yet because you probably were like very busy. And they were like, you're going to have to hold here. You're not a member of this club. And then we went up that dark. It was, it was very posh. I was, was like, this is very, that was so nuts. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that happened. Top floor celebrities were, I swear, everywhere, or it just appeared that way. And we had champagne, which is my favorite and, and Romana's favorite. And you told me like, do you think that Pilates is spiritual? And I was so young and what you saw in me is really questionable still to this day. I'm, I'm working on my confidence within it, but I had a very spiritual connection to it from the very first moment that I found. It. And I was wondering, did you? Uh, I think that I think that I did not initially, I think that I was there because of it, but didn't see it. So, and I know that those, that's a weird way to say it, but I understand now in retrospect that that was filling my cup, you know, like I needed to be there, like one with my spirit, with my body. I I had an odd discussion today with somebody about performing. And I said, you know, it's so another teacher I know has described themselves as an introvert. And I was like, ha ha, that's so funny. Except not really, like you, there is an element of um, performers, like I, I danced professionally and I am a, you know, professional Pilates person as much as, as that's a profession. Uh, it is a career of mine. Um, but there's a deeply personal thing that happens if you are an artist of any kind or you're passionate about something. I think it might happen in sports and music and anything that craft that you really master that like when that light goes on on stage, uh, the audience disappeared for me as a dancer. I did whatever was happening up there in my mental space, emotional space, and represented physically was deeply personal to me. Um, and when you stop that, like when I stopped dancing and I was like, well, that's gone now. <laughs> and there's no stage there anymore. And there wasn't that opportunity to just sort of drown out the whole world. I started to teach and I found in this very like role reversal thing that completely losing myself in this other human being and this like what is happening in this body was just as fulfilling and just as like weirdly personal I don't know how to explain like how personal it is to me to like see a thing in someone's body and be like 
oh, that's this thing and we could do these things. And then it becomes like a community effort. But for that one moment, that, that spark, that like, that just aha moment is so personal, you know, in the, in the teaching of it. So I think that the, the movement part, you know, translated like out of like performing movement into teaching movement. And then in my own practice, you know, it, it's less of that, you know, being on stage introverted, kind of drowning out the, the world's way. Um, but there is this very consistent inner dialogue that happens when I am with my Pilates self on the apparatus working out or, you know, even on my mat in my living room doing whatever uh, comes to the body. Um, and I feel, um, I'm not a very religious person, but I always, I always want to think, I always think I'll write a book called Spirituality for Non-Believers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like, like that book. I, right like I don't like I don't know what I believe about like higher beings but I do believe in like this spirituality of the body and the mind and this like collective you know subconscious that we all have so I think that you know we all share this this body this DNA this our on a cellular level that we occupy and um it's just it's incredibly spiritual to me and I think I I I can't imagine my life without any of it I just can't I don't know who I'd be I'd be lost it's my identity well, so many of us would be lost without you doing it because you have just been such a leader in all of it. Um, well, so let's, I guess we'll dial back a hair and go back to like your youth. I love that you said from a very small age, you knew that you needed to move your body. And I, I don't know that, I think a lot of little girls and boys out there maybe do come into that with ballet. Ballet is like kind of the first thing you could potentially put your kid in, right? Like that yeah. starts so young. And so maybe you want to talk a little bit about that time in your life or like where you were when you, yeah. and what dance did for you? Yeah, I, so I have, um, I come from a, a, I mean, I guess a broken home, if you call it that. I was um, in foster care actually in my very formative years. So from one to three, and I don't remember much of it, uh, but I know, you know, the story of it, which I won't go too, too much into today, but my mother had me very young. She was a teenage mom and um it took a lot for her to get me back. And she, she did get me back. It was like her whole purpose in life was to kind of like get me back and out of foster care. Um, but you know, home was a scary kind of place, not in a like day to day way necessarily, but I had obviously, you know, and I understand now as an adult that there's abandonment issues. If you're like a, a one-year-old that's wrenched from their parents, and then you finally get some stability in foster care. And then you're, wrenched back out from that. And I, I can't imagine my mother doing anything other than exactly what she did, which was to go grab me and take me back. But that does mess with your, you know, emotional stability when you're a tiny toddler and don't quite know what is going on. So there I was in what would have been like, you know, home and then a new home. And then I'm back at this home with these, with this mom, you know, this mom. Um, and there were a series of dads and, um, she was the constant, but the dads kind of rotated for a while. And, um, I think that was really a scary time that I wasn't really aware. I didn't know how to process it yet, but getting into a dance studio by the age of six, um, was a place that I could process some of that. And there was a community that was stable. These people didn't change. They came every day. Your teacher stayed the same. You had a routine that was like, you start in the fall, you work up to recital and everything became very dependable and very predictable. And apart from the, the movement itself being healing and the movement being uh, a place to express yourself because 
words as a child, you know, very challenging. So I was an early reader, but it doesn't matter. You don't have the emotional wherewithal to express yourself and dance is so primal, you know, you can, it's visceral. You can just get in there and move and do what feels good. So I started out in ballet and then the next year I was like, I want to do jazz too. And then it was like, can I do gymnastics also? And then like, you know, by the, <laughs> by year four, I was like in every number in the recital <laughs> until I finally like pared it all down and went back to ballet. Um, but during some of that time, there was a fair amount of domestic abuse in my home, both my, my mother and myself by the time I was nine or so. And uh, I understood if I, even if I couldn't express it verbally, that the dance studio, my mom sat out there every, for every class, for every day, for every show, for every rehearsal. She was in the studio with me and it was a safe space. It was a place we were out of the house. We were, no, nothing happened there. And so in addition to it being this incredible release and a place of expression and a place of communication and a, a place to feel healthy and whole, it was also a place to park my mother. Um, I don't think I understood that until later on when I was like, why did I want my mom there? You know, not just for me, but for her. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you become, um, you parent your parents, right? Like, and some of us have to do a lot of parenting a lot earlier on than we ought to. Uh, but that was definitely my first sort of rodeo at parenting, you know, taking care of my most important, um, asset, which was her. And she, of course, taking care of me. So I think that for me, set me up as like movement is a place and a path. And, and it's always a place to go to be safe. It's a place where the people around me can be safe. Um, I didn't yet see it, you know, as a young person that it would be a place where I could be even more instrumental or I could, or I could teach or I could hold space for others where I could, you know, help literally physically heal other people. But once I was dancing professionally and uh, had sustained a couple of injuries, I, I didn't even, th I don't even remember having a moment where I thought, oh, I don't know what I want to do. I knew the whole time that I was like, oh, I'm going to go for PT. I'm going to be a physical therapist. And in fact, for a long time, I wanted to work with spinal cord patients. And that was my trajectory when I was in PT school and Pilates was just a thing to uh, put myself through school because I hadn't gone to college and I needed to work in order to pay for all of the prerequisites and then apply to PT school. And I was already an adult or a young adult, but an adult. Um, so it just, uh, I think that that, even though it seemed really organic and kind of made sense, I, I feel like I didn't, I, all of this to say, I know the whole wake vibe of this show is literally about those moments. And I, I can't tell you when those moments were for me. I feel like I had a series of mini, you know, stroke, <laughs> mini wake up <laughs> moments <laughs> that like, maybe I didn't even acknowledge at the time. Um, and it can't be true that I always was, was going to go into PT. And yet it seemed to me that I was always going to go into PT when I was done um, with dancing. But, but clearly something in me clicked where when you are done taking all of this and being the person on stage and having that moment, you need to give that back and go make that space uh, for other people. So maybe I, I will, but you know, I feel like <laughs> in, the, well, here so in this decade of life, maybe more things will come to me over time and I'll remember. And I, I wonder like how many of these little moments, you know, did I transition and maybe suppress or didn't acknowledge, but I know they're there. So I mean, yeah, I love, I, I, I think it's an important it. thing to talk about though. I think that's really important. So I don't think everyone's, 
maybe I have never said this because a lot of my community potentially is Pilates people, which have not come on the show yet. But um, the other side are, I tend to gravitate towards people who've had major loss in their life. So grieving people. And I think a lot of our guests thus far have had like bigger, whoa, like I got to get out of this dangerous situation. When you're three, you know, I can look at my daughter and she doesn't, she is just now at 10 having words for Carl's death. And so and movement actually for her, like she is constantly moving her body. And so oddly enough, I haven't even told you this yet, but she found musical theater and dance um, later. She did ballet and didn't like it, musical theater and dance. And she, yesterday I went to go drive my minivan full of so many people to pick her little stinking butt up. And she was supposed to be ready at 5.30. I had to pick her other brother up across town. And she had walked her little fancy self into another class. This is her fifth class in this dance studio, singing, private singing. So musical theater, dance, acting, and musical singing, private lessons. She's just signing herself up. And I was thinking like, (laughs) this makes perfect sense for this child. She's a lot like you. So she's struggled with bullying this year, um, anger inside, but doesn't have her words for her grief. But I recognize that her her waking up or her movement is really giving her a place to put her emotions without words behind it. And so I think disassociating from herself, or at least her emotional connection to the self, she can be in the body more than she can be in the mind of it. And I think I've always gone with mind first, because I'm an overthinker. But lately, as I told you, like, I've been doing all this somatic work, and I'm realizing, like, it's clicking for me that these afferent to efferent responses, it's always been the body. <laughs> Our right, mind is total is you- shit. <laughs> is it going first? And interesting, the thing about using the arts to express yourself or finding a place in the arts or finding some crap, something to study, but anything that's expressive that way is that it's, it doesn't, it feels very risky emotionally safe and unstable to express the things you are feeling. But taking somebody else's biography, do these steps, act like this person, here's this script, sing this song that are removed from you, that may have sentiments of what you're going through, but are not you. It's so much safer. It's so much easier to be like, yes, I'll pretend to be that person. I'll act that role. I'll sing that song. I'll dance your steps and just be a vehicle for all of this expression that may or may not be the thing you need to say, but you're building the muscle. You're building the muscle of expression. And for most of us, I mean, I feel like we're so immature in this area. Like it's all about communication. It's all about expression, but we don't learn to really do it effectively for decades. Like how do you learn to do it? We're only just as a society getting kind of to understand that like that has, that work has to begin so early. So thank God so for really. the opportunity to sing, to draw, to, you know, find a way to like get it out of your body so that it's like, where they always say, um, you just have to channel their energy, channel their energy. You know, like that's like the old saying that parents talk about their children, but it's true. Yeah. Like you channel that energy, what that energy is, it, you know, that might be upset. It might be grief, that might, you know, fear, but it is an energy and you're just channeling yep. it. And so I was one that channeled into sports. So like, I totally get it. When it's interesting, Jamie and I've been talking a lot, um, when I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of artistic expression or creative expression, or maybe just the sheer joy of childhood kind of like behaviors, which dance simulates that for a lot of people. I picked up my kids from camp and the camp is like crazy about, they sing all day long. Like that's all this camp does is like 
it's men and women and all kinds of people just singing. And so the parents come in and it's almost like you're kind of thrown into, you know, it's like when you get to a retreat, if some outsider came into a retreat, you'd be like, they'd feel very disconnected to the spirit of what's happening. So we get there to pick up and we have to sing collectively with all these parents and all these children, all these songs. And I told Jamie this already. And so, you know, like I'm, I can feel my hmm, apprehension or my, what are people thinking about me sort of thing? Like, I'm always been, I've been a caregiver since I was very little as well, parenting parents and always worrying about what other people think about me, making sure I'm doing the right thing. And in that space, I felt very much like I, I could see my own self doing that and wanted to not do that. Cause I was like, this is ridiculous. So clapping and singing. And I look at David, my new husband, and he is like <laughs> locked frozen you know, frozen. I mean, couldn't even clap the damn hands. I'm like, can you get a clap going? And he actually plays like nine instruments. He's very, very, oh very musically inclined. Musical. Writes his own music. Yes. And I thought to myself, and we've talked about this a lot, like when was the moment that childhood joy escaped us and we became ad- adult or whatever, a feeling as though adult. And it was embarrassing to like let that childhood play out. And I was wondering like, in the Pilates studio, it kind of does feel like we're playing a lot. Do you feel like that? Yep. Yeah, I say yeah. That. I say that all the time. A therapist said it to me once and said, you don't get a lot of opportunity for play as an adult. Like there's sex <laughs> and then there's like, I don't know, the jungle, the park. <laughs> so if you can <laughs> play, you know, at Pilates, it is one of the few places that you can sort of feel like jungle gyms and like all of the like, cool sort of gymnastics things that feel like play, like somersault and rolling and things that are joyful and ways you don't move your body as an adult. But it's not just the ways you don't move your body. It's the way you don't think or like even just challenging. If you know, have you noticed in the Pilates studio or if you're just listening to this, if you see somebody attempting something in the Pilates studio that is beyond their comfort zone, they giggle like hysterically, like you become like, ah, ah, I'm doing a handstand. People become hysterical and it's because it's fun and also really nerve wracking. Um, and we don't get that playful, experimental, like risk taking what will happen. Like I'll fall to the ground, but I won't die. Like we don't get to do that a lot uh, as an adult. So I do, I do think Pilates is a lot about fun and experiment and play uh, more so than a lot of other kinds of exercise, which to my mind, all take themselves way too seriously. But I feel like Pilates gets that reputation weirdly and should not Mm -hmm. because in the hands of the, I don't want to say the wrong teacher, because I don't think there's such a thing as a wrong teacher, but in the hands of a certain style of teacher, it can just be too serious and there needs to be joy in movement or why are we doing it? Well, I'm actually getting that. So in the San Antonio region, my in-home clients, which are very different than my New Orleans clients. So New Orleans was like, well, they have, well, like Larry has his stand up and he's doing amazing and they had their population and they were like full and like happy and amazing. I'm obsessed with their whole vibe. And then when we came in, it was a little bit like, what is Pilates, you know? So those clients were very like Christmas morning, like, what is this? I don't even, I don't even know what they think Pilates is yoga. So we're, we're separating, but here- it's actually like a really like, like an interesting vibe that I'm finding that my clients that are coming in-house are kind of escaping that sort of non-safe version of Pilates, which can happen, you know, in any movement modality. I actually think when I get ballerinas or professional dancers that are retired, 
which happens in our industry a lot, they come and then become teachers. They are beat down a lot as well. And so I was wondering if you wanted to talk about, because this is a big vibe for me, for you. <laughs> for me, for you is weird. <laughs> for me, for, for me, for you. I think that like <laughs> listening to your story and when you first told me about being in foster care and like your mom being so young and like your childhood, you know, just having that, that difficult time and looking for safety and dance and movement in the studio I don't know, and maybe you're not conscious to it, but as a, as an outside person who literally your space um, and education and and actually belief in me, even in, on a personal level, and allowance of me to grow and change as a human through an incredibly challenging time where I've had to change a lot in a lot of different ways, and and you've let me malleate so many different ways and supported me in all of them. I think that your expertise obviously is in movement and bodies, but more importantly, what I think that you're fostering is is, is safety. And and fostering education and this like incredible intense ability to see the body, heal the body, be there for the body, but you create safety for everyone in your that comes in your realm. And and that starts from the top of your company all the way down to our our students and um and your, you know, people that just come off the streets. And so I just was wondering, like, do you know that you do that? I mean, do you think that that's like that innate need to be a mom? Like, I think your mom. Maybe you're, you know, like some of that lack of like, even before you knew, because your mom obviously knew you still have a very good relationship and it's not like she's not mothering you. She just had a moment or like the time that was really difficult for her. But I feel like you are like the ultimate mom. Maybe a mom to me, maybe more than my my own mom in some ways. Like you could see things in me that a lot of people can't. And I think I'm not the only one in this industry that feels that way. Wonder. I don't, I don't know if that's a question. I'm awake to that. I don't know if I'm awake to the... I don't know that if I'm consciously trying to, to, I don't know if I'm consciously trying to parent. I am consciously trying to do a few things. And one of them is I have a lot of faith in human potential. I, <laughs> I had my chart done, done once and the woman laughed at me and she's like, oh, this is so darling. I was like, what? She's like, well, there's this little piece and it's just, you really think you can save the world. And I was like, but I do. <laughs> it's maybe not so little. Like you just save the world You're with one year. <laughs> I do believe I have a tremendous amount of faith in human potential. And I, I also believe that most people don't believe in themselves and that if they are given the opportunity, I mean, I'm also stunned. Like, well, how am I even here? Like I should be a total that, like, how am I even here? So, so if, if my life can look like this by nothing much more than just, you know, putting my head down, forging forward and like expressing myself, then maybe if everyone else has this opportunity to sort of like be supported, not in a like, you know, oppressive parenting way, but like you can do it way. (laughs) And if you're good at that, you're probably good at like nine other things way. Um, I, I, I mean, I just think that we are more powerful than we know in what we can do for other people. And that, that, you know, there is not, there's not such trickle down. There's not such a thing as trickle down. Like it all trickles up, right? Like you have to get under people and help them to rise up. And that, you know, then it's just a big sort of thing. There isn't, we're not trying to like throw crumbs at the peasants. Like that's not, that's not the thing. Like you have to really get underneath people and help them to be their, their absolute best. I also just think people are fascinating and interesting. And, you know, I always sit with my new team and I'm like, what do you want to do in five years? Like, what do you do outside of here? 
how could that happen in here? Is there any way to mesh your and merge your interests? And the things that come out of those conversations that sometimes impact the company, but sometimes just impact the human. Um, and I'm so excited to see those people like in five years, like circle back with like some project they've done or, you know, something that was born at our studio, some, some place they had this first thought, this spark, this, this moment that like then changed the trajectory of their lives. So if we're helpful in that, I don't, I mean, I loathe the word being responsible for it. Cause I just think that gets us to, but if I'm in some way, like a part of it or gave space for it, then like, you know, that's the thing on your tombstone, right? Like <laughs> you made a little difference. You made somebody's life oh, a little bit better. Is there anything more important? <laughs> I don't know. You're, I know you said trickle up, but your what you're doing has also trickled down into the people you've influenced. Because being, I've worked with Alex, I've ran the studio with Alex, and I can say everything you just said is exactly how Grace has ran. So not only right. are you doing that to your group, but now you have this co-center who's also embodied that completely as well. So I yeah. mean, that's, that's amazing. You're spreading it. You're changing the world. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's just, and you're, I thought, you know, God, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you go, you go, you go. I just, I, when I, when I watched my teacher Ramana teach, I was always so like, none of these sessions are ever the same. Like she doesn't, <laughs> they're never the same. She doesn't say the same stuff. She doesn't hold them the same way. She doesn't demand the same thing. And it was just obvious that this was all about intuition. And I was like, she's a Pilates into it. It's just like, that's the thing. And that was the gift of, that she had. And I'm not sure everybody has that, but like, if you can foster intuition in people, not just in teaching, but like just intuition about yourself, about your family, about what you should be doing, about like what Alex is waking up, like, you know, you're, everything can open, like everything can open. And it, it, it changed the way I looked at the world watching her teach and then trying to, you know, it's always about space, leaving space for things to change, leaving space to change your mind, leaving space to, for people to grow, like letting people go, you know, that's always so heartbreaking. People coming in and out of the studio, I'm like, oh, they're leaving, but like, you know, maybe they'll go back <laughs> and they come back in another capacity or you cross paths at another time. Um, but without having some like level of intuition about the people around you and helping them develop their own. I feel like everything's just a little like more superficial and I'm not, that's not interesting to me. That's just not interesting. I have a question. And I, I don't know if this is something that a lot of the Pilates community already knows, but so you went from being a ballerina and then you started teaching Pilates. But how did you, because the whole generation of real Pilates that you've grown and I mean, these are like master teachers but they all are under you and your relationship with Ramada. But how'd you find Ramada? Like, how did that come to be? Yeah. Um, so I trained at, oh God, it's so funny. I was telling somebody this story yesterday. I was in a little, yesterday I was doing Pilates with my now teacher, Deborah Lesson, who I take a lesson with every, every week. And um, she plays classical music in the back of her studio. It's so lovely. And uh, this piece of classical music came on and I was like, oh, and I, I had a flashback. I was like, this move, this music is really special to me. I used to be in a children's chamber ballet theater before I ever like, you know, started training in New York City. And I was in a performance. We were like in the lobby on a linoleum floor and um, I, we were performing this piece and I had a small solo. I was in like 
a lavender leotard and I, my mom sewed some flowers for like a headdress. And when the performance was over, a whole bunch of people came running up to me and they went to my mom. They were like, you were so beautiful. You're so, so beautiful. You're so great. And I think it was my mother's and my first moment where we were like, I might, maybe I'm good. <laughs> maybe I'm good enough to like dance. Like, People think I'm good. <laughs> Did you hear them? <laughs> um, and because of that, I went to audition in New York City at the School of American Ballet and I got in and I, that's the New York City Ballet's school. And so that like piece of music, you know, in that performance led to like this audition. And then I went to the school for four years. I trained there. And during my time at the School of American Ballet, if you were injured in any way, they would send all of their students to Pilates. So I had a, a weak ankle. One of my ankles still weak. I actually lost severed a tendon in there and I'd never even got it sewn up but that's another podcast entirely um <laughs> and I went to Pilates for my ankle and I was at a studio called Anderson Kasakov it was a uh, one of the other Pilates elders not Ramana's lineage but Carola Trier's lineage and that was my first sort of dalliance with Pilates and I would get injured, go do Pilates, and then go back to ballet class, and then get injured and go back to Pilates. And then at a certain point, I was like, I should just really be more stable with this. Like, what if I just did it all the time? Like, maybe I wouldn't get injured. Aha, is that a wake-up moment? <laughs> and um, it is a wake-up moment. So I started to do it all the time, and or regularly at least. And uh, I had a teacher named Steve Giordano at that point, and he had been trained by Romana. And then I was out of school, I was dancing professionally. And every time I was back in town, I would take lessons with Steve. And at some point I was gearing up for what I knew would be my eventual phase out of professional dancing. And I asked Steve how he got trained to teach Pilates. And he said, oh, well, I trained with Romana. And I was like, who's that? <laughs> and he was like, she's on 57th street. And so I went to meet Romana and uh, I told her that Steve had sent me. She was, he was one of her protégés, early protégés. And, um, I started to train there. That's how I got trained to teach Pilates. But I, you know, the whole like, and then I taught and then I opened studios and then I wrote books. All that stuff was just kind of like, I mean, I say it's accidental. This is the wrong venue to say anything is accidental. Like, is anything accidental? I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, maybe not at all. But certainly I took every opportunity to enjoy Pilates and spread Pilates and expand Pilates and in the process grew what uh, is today a pretty amazing company and group of people. So that's how I got along that path. Awesome. Sorry, I don't know if everyone knew that story. I just, I've always wanted to hear it. No, it's I crazy. think that's really fun. And it's actually cool because Jamie is a yogi and uh, we love, she's like Johnny. She like we force her into Pilates all the time and I'm always trying to get her to love it. And it just, it does help her. Of course it does. Her neck gets better. I appreciate Pilates. I appreciate it. I feel the, what it does. But when you talk about like the flow state or mind, like I can do a yoga flow and that's where my mind just gets locked in. So I that's just, it. I that's what Pilates. it is. Choose yoga. <laughs> well, and it makes me, I think it's cool. I hear you from that perspective, because um, there's so much history. And right now, I think our industry really needs honest voices um, to talk about Romana and, and, and not just honest voices, but safe, honest voices of people who love Joe's work, Romana's work, and all the elders work, and is able to translate that in, in a place where we're not judging each other. We're just trying, like, let's get back to the roots of what this is about. This is about healing the body. 
It's, it's about, you know, teaching people to get inside of themselves. And we can get into all the choreography and all the comp- competitiveness and who's better, who's this. But I don't know, at the end of the day, like, do you feel like I do where I'm like, why is everyone fighting so much? Like, can't we just see that this is such a beautiful modality that heals bodies and 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 try to find a way to bridge this gap? I don't know. Like, tell me your thoughts a little bit. I know because your people are definitely going to listen to this. And I, I feel like everyone's always wanting to hear, you know, your thoughts on the industry and where it is today. Is it so different than when you were in uh, Romana Studio becoming a teacher? It's like super different and entirely the same all at the same time. Um, Romana was always like, there's no such thing as bad Pilates. And I remember going home and writing that down because she was like, what's the alternative? No Pilates, you're not going to do it. Like do the bad Pilates, like whatever it is. (laughs) And I took it to heart because I was like, I don't, for me at that moment, there wasn't really any, any judgment about other types of Pilates. It was just it was just strange to go to like another state and get on an apparatus that was really, really different and hear the names of exercises that I didn't recognize. So there's, there's that sort of piece that's sort of like, Oh, you think you're a Pilates person, but you can easily walk into a studio where you don't know the equipment or recognize the moves. And so does that mean you're not a Pilates person or does that mean you're a certain kind of Pilates person? So I think a lot of the struggles and judgments and fear around Pilates come from like, identity crisis, you know, like, what am I? Who am I? Like, what does it mean about me that I don't know this thing or I don't do that thing or I didn't train with that person? And I don't, uh, there's certainly no utility in those kinds of feelings uh, and all of that strife. And we would do better to focus on our clients as we do. Um, I always think it's sort of interesting that clients find their way to the right studio and the right teacher for them because even among our own colleagues, like you hear stories that people are like, I did flies and I didn't like it. And then I went to this other place I didn't like it. And I went to this third place. And then by this fifth teacher. And I'm always like, wait, 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 wait. You tried Pilates five times. You went to five different, like, because it seems to me like if I picked up a football and played a game and I was like, this is not for me, I would not come back for a second game. Like, what is it about Pilates that people are like, I didn't like that. Let me try again. I didn't like that. Mm, let me try again. Like, why do they keep coming back to it? Something is is in it. Something is like pulling them back. And I think that when Pilates teachers recognize that and are like, yeah, there's something in this work, no matter what kind of work you teach, you know, you can feel better about like what you're doing. And as long as we're all focused on the clients, I don't think there's any like bad or wrong or inferior Pilates. There's just the choices we make about like, what kind of work do you want to teach? What kind of work do you love? And most people will choose to teach or train to teach the kind of work that they fell in love with for their own bodies. What I've observed in the in the time I've been teaching and in the industry is that there's these waves of like classical bodies kind of falls out of favor and then resurges and then it falls out. And it's sort of like right now we're back in another wave of like, oh, it's popular again. And it doesn't matter to somebody like me who's like, whatever, this is what I do. <laughs> But I do notice that like, because we're in teacher training, we can see that the like wave of already trained instructors coming to get retrained or, you know, add on training, supplemental training, whatever you want to call it, bridge training um, is on the rise. So, and I think that's really cool. Like, why wouldn't you want to like advance your own education, maybe go back and look at the old stuff if you are in a newer or more evolved body of work? Um, either way, like 
you know, I still stand by it. Like do Pilates, some kind of Pilates, and maybe we should just focus on the teaching and advancing our own education and less about what do you do? I have lots of contemporary Pilates teacher friends and we don't really talk about Pilates when we're, you know, being friends. It doesn't matter. Like we might talk about our clients, but you know, that's it. So I feel like it's just another dividing line. Like it's just not necessary. Well, and I think that it's so interesting for, for like me when I found Pilates. So I found Pilates actually through um, bar. I did a bar class that kind of was different. I had been like a whatever it might be like a Les Mills is my how I'd like to describe my early fitness <laughs> I have body pump and body flow and uh, yep, yep. I didn't really find like that internal focus it was all about loud music and hurry and faster and I was working in the nursing industry not using the bathroom all day not paying attention to myself and when Carl was diagnosed I I simultaneously had just found Pilates and I realized like this is so different I feel so different and I was like I don't have I ever paid attention to my body like one day in my life? I never did. Right. I never, never asked myself like, how do I feel or how do I feel in my movement? How do I feel in my day? How does my body feel? And then that, that spark right along with that diagnosis that he had this massive tumor inside of his abdomen and had no symptoms, according to him, really shook me where I was like, whoa, we go all maybe our life, but definitely all day not paying attention to our bodies. And I found that, at least for me, I was just so blessed. I fell right into classical. Like, and and mm. and then got more, went more classical. I was like, wait, I need to go higher to the source. Um, so I was really lucky in that way. Because I think if I would have fallen into contemporary, we we might be sitting in a different life. Like, I don't know. And not right. that it would be a, a, a bad life or a different movement. I'd still love it. I would have yep. loved, right. It would just have been so different. Because that's the thing I want the listeners who don't know about Pilates whatever Pilates you walk into, I could do jumping jacks and call that Pilates. So it's really important. And why some of us get on a little bit of a soapbox or try to talk loudly about classical versus other versions of it. It's all great movements, all versions of Pilates, but there's a man, a method and, and a system. And in that system, there's only certain people that teach from that system. And you should really, before you lay down $120, $50 an hour, like in my opinion, start with the origin and deviate out. So at least you have right. an understanding of what it's supposed to be. And what I did that, I, that repetition, I would have thought that would have been boring for me because I'm kind of, I can need a lot of activity to stay engaged. Yeah. Um, it was not, it was actually a total, like I turned internal focus for the first time in my whole life and it, it changed my entire life. And the, you know, the rest is history for me. I'm done. I'm a, I'm a Pilates girl every week for the rest of my life. And I love yoga, but in yoga, I'm all in my mind. And in Pilates, I'm in my mind because I have to, but I am I have to listen and respond. So this afferent effort response are going so quickly, the synapses are firing so hard that I can't think my way out of it. Well, I, mean, I probably could, mm-hmm. but I, can, I don't think I can. <laughs> like I have to stay focused on muscle engagement and feeling, how do I feel this day? And how can I get where this teacher is asking me to go? Right. Totally healing for those of us crazy minds out there. You, If you've got a crazy mind and you've not tried classical Pilates, you are going to find it is like sitting in meditation, although we know you can't do that yet. One day you will yeah. if you can practice Pilates. It's so powerful. So it I think totally kudos to the classical teachers who found, you know, like you who are like just putting it out there because it it, it is a it is a yogic 
and I might get yelled at for this. It is a yogic mentality. It is a yogic focus. It is, it is exactly what yogis are trying to accomplish, which is this deep concentration that is needed to get where you need to go. But it's not the mind fuck of like, am I good enough? Like in yoga, I'm always like, do you, maybe you feel the same. Like, I'm like, that wasn't good. Shit, I have to do that. Why am I a bad mom? That's not yogic. But it's, but there's That's so much yogic. freedom in yoga, unless you have like the total right guide, in my opinion, or you study philosophy and really dive in. It's, it's hard to get that in your, in the movement portion of it. So in the asana, I think I, I, in a regular. You know, I took a, a whole bunch in my lifetime, have taken a whole bunch of yoga. And the first five or six times I was like, nope, uh-uh. Not for me. <laughs> Back to the Pilates studio I go. Um, and then someone dragged me to an Ashanga class and I was like, oh, yes, please, more of this. Yeah. Because maybe that rigidity of the classical system, which I was like, I like to know what's coming next. It's not like you just pulled it out of a hat, but this is the system. There's no ambient anything. It's just the breath. That for me was like, this is companion to the classical work, like it's rigid. You can measure your success. You know, there's that beautiful metronome of the breathing that happens in Pilates. To me, they're like, you know, not yin and yang, but like, it's very, to me, they, that makes sense as like, as a classical Pilates person that I would resonate with Ashanga. And I did a ton of Ashanga yoga uh, in my younger days, just because it was like, I'm not gonna be in Pilates right now. But I want to just touch on something you said about consumers kind of, or people coming to Pilates and not like not knowing what they're doing. And I, I think that just, there's just that basic like curiosity about like, you should know what you're doing. Like you don't sign up for a massage. Typically, I hope you don't without saying like, <laughs> is this a Swedish? Is this a Shiatsu? Is this a deep tissue? Is this a stone, hot stone? God bless me. I love some hot stone massage. Like, you know, like it's a reflexology. Like you pick the thing, right? And people are so used to, choosing their yoga that way. Like I'm going to take a flow. I'm going to take a Hatha. I'm going to take a Bikram. Like they're seem more educated. And I kind of blame the Pilates industry for so like dropping the ball on that. I'm like, it's our fault if clients don't know what to ask for or what to look for, or that there are distinctions between different types of Pilates. And maybe that's just because we haven't been at it long enough, but I do think it falls to us and the future generations to like, you want them to know, then you have to teach them. Like they're not just going to divine it. Like if they don't just happen upon the information. So, well, this one's a good question. Why for you, Pilates? Why Pilates for you and not something else? Like I know you've done a lot of other things, obviously. But I think why? It's a question for you. Mm-hmm. Why Pilates? I mean, you know, I was so I was fourteen when I took my first Pilates class. So I was. I was a child and not just a class. I was 14 when I started working out on the equipment. Like I was 14 doing leg springs on the catalog, doing the pull-up on the wonder chair, running home, telling my mom, like they call it a chair, but it's not a chair. It's like a weird platform. It's got like a pedal. I don't know. I don't know why they call it a chair. It's not a chair. <laughs> and, um, you know, it became like part of my DNA, like because it was such a maintenance protocol. But, you know, each decade of my life, I realized like the gift of Pilates and how, you know, what my practice looks like now and what I take from my lessons is so, so very different now. I mean, they don't even, they're not recognizable. They don't, you can't even compare them to what my Pilates in my teens looked like to my twenties. I have having babies in my thirties, like, you know, injuries in my fifties, you know, the 
menopause, like all of it is there. <laughs> like, and seeing how this, the system is so incredibly adaptable and malleable and, and just, you know, serves you. Like, it's like, I keep saying, I want to get underneath people. Like the system kind of gets under us. Like it's there to just sort of support for whatever you need. Why Pilates? So that I can do all the rest of it. Like I, you know, my husband is a hunter and a fisherman. And I'm like, you have to do Pilates. He's like, I know. I have to do but like, so that you can hunt and fish better so that like you can run a marathon better so that you can stay alive better. Just, you know, even basic things like life is demanding physically, especially like today we're expected to be healthy and, and fit and active so, so much longer. Like what is the basis or foundation for that? What, what would you do to ensure that you have the next 20 or 30 years, like to live the way you want to live them? I, I mean, for me, that answer is pretty obvious that it's Pilates, but I like to do other things too. <laughs> I know you do. Well, okay. So we've talked a lot about the body and I love um, one of the questions you wanted me to ask, which like, oddly enough, this was a question I had for you myself, which I'm like, look at us aligning is sort of about the body. Do you really believe that the body is a vehicle for healing? And if yes, how might Pilates or other movements jumpstart the process? What a great question. I do believe the, that movement is a vehicle for healing and that it's the most, or, you know, we begin with a heartbeat, right? The body is conceived with an electrical impulse. That first spark is movement. Like the first thing that happens that is life from non-life is just, it's not even a heart, right? It's just a little mush of cells. It seems like there's an innate, you know, rhythm, an innate drive toward movement that is the very cellular structure of us. And if that is the is the beginning, is the ultimate beginning of life and then development and growth, like that's who we are. We are meant to move. We are meant to beat. We are meant to move to the beat. <laughs> like it is just, I don't think there's another way. <laughs> like it's just, it's just who we're, what we're made of. So I think that if, if that's how we are, that's how we come into the world and that's how we can return to our best, healthiest selves when something goes awry. No, and I think that, you know, I started this idea about this company with very little, I mean, honestly, Jamie can tell you, a very little understanding of what our direction was, truthfully. Like I was like, we just need to do something to get people healthier. And I feel like from the Pilates studio, it expanded into this emotional connection because of course you cannot move your body or have clients moving their bodies and not take part in what you're talking about, which is the spark of their life and the heartbeat. And what I, because I've been on such an emotional journey and that losing my best friend and the father of my children made me realize, and actually, you know, it's so sad today. One of my dearest clients, um, Harmony, who's running my studio in New Orleans, her best friend and client who came to us after a cancer journey was re-diagnosed and put on hospice today really quickly. Mm -hmm. And it hit me real like a punch in the gut because I felt like I was listening to a much faster version of my own story, of course. And, and then obviously realignment this year, you know, I had a few moments where there's so many people affected by disease and different kinds of disease. And I'm losing my track a little bit, but the point I'm trying to get at is that I, I started to really I think I value, and I think you do too, I value so much the life that is trusting me. When someone comes into my space, my hands, my 
eyes and and I'm teaching them to get back to them because it's really on them, not me. It's really, I'm just the voice to teach them to go back inside and do their own thing. But it's so freaking powerful to see these people who like, think about this one client of mine, Dan, if you're out there listening, you are my freaking hero. His goal was just to get healthier, to drop weight. Like I had another guy who wanted to play with his grandkids. Like that was his goal. And when we set these goals, like I started to get more emotional because that's just who I am and see like, what's, what is your heartbeat? Why are you here? And what can I help you with? Like, what, what do you really need to change in your life? And it's so freaking powerful. And within that, everybody started to open up on their life and their movement and healing within that movement. It opened the door for everything. Like I didn't move that much before. I didn't feel good before my marriage is falling apart. Like our life is happening (laughs) sort of in front of us on these, on, on these movement paths. And and maybe if you're one-on-one, if you're lucky enough, like to get yourself in a one-on-one setting, it's really powerful because you see the same person and they, they watch you change and shift, shape, ship, you know, but it's, I wanted to do something with an emotional spark that had, and movement is the first thing Jamie and I were like, well, we'll make a movement app because what I know to be true. And I know, you know, this and every, and Jamie too, cause she's becoming a yoga teacher currently and almost done graduating very, very soon. If I teach you nothing else, move your body and you're going to be better. You know, The Body Keeps the Score is a book that is a bestseller over and over and over and over again because it's true. We hold everything in the body and it starts with the body. And so I guess I just wanted to know, like, for you, do, when you're in crisis or when your clients are in crisis, do you think just moving is enough? I mean, do you think that is the door? Do you think that is like, I think that might be the religion. I know that sounds ridiculous, <laughs> but I'm... I'm coming. Like, I think our body is our religion. It is the temple. It is, it is, it holds it all. And like, there's something that that's the spirituality for me that I want at least to translate in this podcast and on this app to say, like, I hope that movement is your number one. And I hope number two, if you can't, it'll, it'll guide you down. Like it did to me, like a whole healing journey. Right. I think it's a segue. I think for some people, it's not the first thing and they do something else before. But I think people discount how important movement is in their own, like even movement that they do, incidental movement. I'll give you an example. My husband's having a stressful phone call and he's pacing on the phone. He's pacing, he's walking Mm -hmm. back and forth. Super simple thing. He doesn't notice. And I'm like, yeah, because you're moving. (laughs) You are working it out. It is working for your body. You have your whole system engaged. Your heart is pumping. You're, you know, you're making a rhythm for yourself. Like, and people don't notice that they, you know, insert movement for themselves where they need it consciously or subconsciously. Um, And that I think when people become more aware of that, just wake up to that they realize like, oh, I actually feel much better when I do that. I feel much better when I do that. And then they can make the decision and making the decision. It's not, it's not the movement itself. It's the decision about I'm going to do this. I, you know, I, I made a, um, <laughs> my new year's resolution. I know we hate resolutions, but I made a new year's resolution last year. And I was like, I want to see as many sunrises as I can this year. That was my resolution. And it was a super basic one, but I was like, I, but getting up, you know, to do that, you got to get up. (laughs) So I was like, I got to wake up. I got to watch the sunrise. Even if it's just a glimmer, sometimes I just catch a moment of it, but I do as much of it as I can every day. And that little bit of movement a little bit earlier than I probably want it to be. And that way I'm like looking forward to winter um, is a good thing for me. So I think that just like that, that kind of decision-making and waking up to like the things you do every day and how they serve your body, they're all segues to like, you know, that healing process. So 
I just don't think people should be that by themselves. I want to ask you, because I know we're about at the end here, but, you know, listening to Alex and the rest of the instructors at Grace, they all have, they all have stories with certain patients, certain clients that just resonate with them. Like even, I mean, the brief ones that Alex mentioned, and it's ones that I've seen even as not, not as an instructor, but being in the studio. And I know you teach, you've taught many people, celebrities, you name it. What's the most inspiring story or the one that comes to your mind? Uh, Patricia Matthews. Pat, if you're out there. <laughs> uh, Patricia Matthews was my client um, probably in her early 60s when she showed up. She had been recently diagnosed with MS. She uh, was a formidable woman. I, she's, I shouldn't speak about her in the past tense. She's very much alive. Um, but when I met her, she was, you know, just a formidable human, just lovely and determined. And she, um, at that moment in time, had some impairment to her gait, like one of her legs was weaker than the other. So it wasn't really walking very well. And over the course of the next three years, maybe four, could have been as many as five, she, um, went from, you know, no canes to a cane to two canes to a walker and ultimately to a, um, she had a little scooter that she would ride, uh, to the studio and she never missed a lesson. <laughs> she was never late. Uh, I had to modify everything, uh, down and MS of course is a progressive, debilitating, hateful, nasty bitch of a disease. Uh, and watching the people you love suffer at its hands is just miserable and cruel, but she was always so grateful to be there and always so happy. And when she finally left the city, because it was just too hard to navigate, um, they went out to Connecticut and she had her husband build her lap pool in the, in their home so that she could continue moving every day. And, uh, she wrote me recently and was like, I'm still swimming every day. And I was like, <sighs> movement. She knows she has to move and that's keeps her alive. So yeah. She's an inspiration. That's amazing. Well, I do love the, the cyclical nature of that, that, that I think there was times I was, you know, Harmony said today when she had found out her best friend was going to die or is on hospice, not well. She said, I don't know how you did this, you know? And I thought to myself, we, we just all, when we're in crisis, put one foot in front of the other. I'm sure we've all in this room been there, but to be honest, it was the clients in front of me, right? Like the stories in front of me that I, I continue to think, and I think you do too. It's like, we get this opportunity that someone comes to ask us for help to make their body a safer place or a healthier place or to connect inside of. And I always think about Carl, like he started Pilates when he was dying, which is hilarious and sad. And so I couldn't teach him because you just shouldn't teach your husband in general, but that was even worse. Hard to watch. <laughs> and... um you know, things were stripped from him. And, and I think about our bodies, like for those of us that are capable and healthy, we should just try something, anything, anything. It doesn't have to be big. It should be as small as what you just said, pace the freaking room, lift your leg out of your chair, squeeze your booty when you're in a chair. Like, you know, I was thinking today, like when you get, I get sad. This is so, this is a weird time. We're going to end on, and like, I want to finalize just a couple, one more question after this, but this is kind of interesting that Alicia and I've been trying to get um, connected to do this for a minute. And she just popped on this week and I was like, oh shit, we're doing it this week, which is amazing because 
we're this will launch right now. It's not September yet, but we'll launch in September. And September 9th is when uh, Carl died. And mm. I always, th- I'll never stop thinking about that day. I didn't show up to your mat class. I'm sorry about that. Uh, oh, because I knew, God. fuck, but I had to go home. So I was in realignment the probably the month before Carl died. So July is always realignment close to end of, of July. Um, he died in September. And I knew that that plane ride home, that was a little mini break that I had before he died. And I was thinking like, I didn't show up to the mat class, which as a host, very frowned upon <laughs> potentially. Um, and You're always expected. a loving, all, I know. She's always so, so generous. So knock, knock, knock on my hotel door and in comes this one with a cup of coffee for me. I had partaken in probably too much wine the night before because I was in a stress zone and that was, you know, fakely relieving for a minute, but not really. And you, you know, you just held me and it was really, it was really dear. And I want the listeners to know that obviously this podcast, you'll just hear how lovely of a human she is, but she has had my back and I'm, I'm certain of thousands of others behind me or in front of me. Um, And I just hope that you know how much you've meant to me. And I hope that the listeners know that if there's a Pilates studio or a movement space that you are thinking about, you should get out there. And, you know, on for my friend Marguerite, who's not doing so well right now, if your body is healthy enough to be even complaining about it, you're doing all right and you're alive. And I hope that you get to wake up enough to take care of and just listen to your body. And I think my final question for you is just because I actually need to know or want to know, like, what's what's the end game? What is your end game out there? <laughs> what is end game? Uh, we'll end with your end game. <laughs> um, you know, it's I, I wanted to say this when I agreed to do this podcast and I wanted and I had been thinking about it all week because I was like, what was my wake up moment? And mm-hmm. um because I, I've sort of alluded to this, but like, I don't feel like I've had this like one, like, like, am I even a grown up yet? Like, did I have my wake up? <laughs> so I think that end game might be like many more wake up moments, many more aha moments, you know, clarity is like, you know, everything's always so kind of like, sure. Yes, maybe. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I think real clarity about where real parties goes um, then it won't matter what happens. I won't matter how it ends as long as I feel really clear <laughs> about those choices. I'm not there yet, but that's end game for me. <laughs> well, I love you so much. That is big teaser, which means we'll have to have you back on for more of I, your wake up moments. I'd also like to say to the listeners, we're not trying to put pressure on your wake up. It doesn't have to be humongous. Like wake ups can be super small. I love her because she's so dynamic. She probably thinks it needs to be like an explosion. But I think wake ups can be really small. And, and you know, I think as a widow, and I will for always be a widow, I'm a remarried widow to another widower. And we talk about widowdom all the time. And I think the thing I missed the most after Carl died, as everyone knows, was someone to share a cup of coffee with, a card. Um the most important things in life are actually very, very small. I think the waking up, if I can translate it in a better way, then it doesn't need to be like this massive wake up. It's it's actually the paying attention to the most tiny love moments in your life or the moments in your life in general, because love is all around us all the time. But if we are too in our shit to pay attention, we miss all of it. And I was missing all of it um, before I found Pilates. And honestly, before I found you, I have never 
in a career setting or even in a life setting felt seen, valued, and supported in all my ventures. And even on this one that we really are just winging it and trying to help people. We don't know. We're, we're, we're actually making more money in our, um, what are we making more money in Jamie? Our pot affiliate, our pot drink. We have a little bit of THC. It's like the smallest amount of pot. I'm not a big pot smoker, but I also think these like canned drinks are lovely and they make people stop drinking because they give you that little, but you're totally checked in. Um, for those Wait, does there need to be like a pot Pilates, you know, yes, mixer? Yes. These drinks, people will definitely show up to your class in a better level. I can promise you that much. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> All right. Currently, well, we'll have to hear. Currently, that's where we are, but we, yeah, we don't know where we're going either. And I think our future, the door is wide open. But I think what's cool is. I know that with you as my mentor, um, I'm going to keep cranking out Pilates in all the ways that I can. And I hope with this app, it becomes maybe more accessible for people, accessible for people, more affordable. I hope that people can see I'm a little bit more spiritual about it. And proudly, I'm classically spiritual about my Pilates. And I I hope that that everybody um, comes to New York to the mothership, as I like to call it, and finds (laughs) Alicia. She is kicking my ass every Tuesday that I can show up to that session. Oof, I'm Love literally hardly Love moving my that. legs from that class. So thank you for that. And thank you so, so much welcome. for joining us. Oh, You're a lovely, pleasure. lovely you, ladies. Human. That was so fun. Oh, thank you so much. It's been, you know, being next to Alex for all these years and hearing all the wonderful things about you. It's really great to put a face to your name now. She's as dynamic oh. as I said. Yeah, I told you. Everything it's- and more. I know. Yeah. There's not many times where Alex Longwinded wants to shut the hell up, but this is one of them. I'm like, everything that comes yeah. out of her mouth. Yeah, I know. You're like, I don't need to talk. Just go ahead. I laughed and thought today, like I was trying to prepare. And then I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to turn my microphone off and let her rip. Like, that's what needs to happen. <laughs> so I'm longwinded too. Are you and I together. Yeah, it's, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous game. Yeah, it's, it's fun to see you both together. It makes I'll take that is a massive compliment. Well, thank you so much. Okay, so everybody, we will have in the show notes all the ways to find Alicia. Obviously, Real Pilates is my bliss. You're going to find that link as well. Uh, we will be having and having Real Pilates style. It's already on there. Real Pilates versus from me is on the app. We are launched the app. It is for sale. Um, there's some freeness going on, one month free. So hop on there. We've got all sorts of things happening. Meditation all kinds of healing things. So this old widow is coming at you with all the healing tools I can think of because it is my goal to bring you people like this who have changed the world, not by big wake up moments, but by just paying attention. So I hope today that you are inspired to move your body, pay attention, try some Pilates. Mm-hmm. Real Pilates on social media, and they are always having new cycles of Real Pilates teacher Oh my God! Become a teacher if you're in San Antonio. Find me; I will help you find a way. We got Austin, we got Dallas, Dallas we got Houston, New Orleans. The South is blowing up. Texas, it's nuts. It's nuts. Wait, we're in Paris. I know that's we're crazy. In, that's crazy. Who'd I'm excited. Who'd have thunk it? Yeah, you're doing awesome. Keep it up. Okay, we're signing okay. off. I never want to end this one. Love. This has been the Wake the F Up podcast with Alex and Jamie, a podcast about normalizing and overcoming challenges like grief and fear. 
Be sure to check out our other episodes where our community of experts share tools and ideas to help you wake to the life inside of you. If you enjoyed this episode of Wake the F Up, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And join the Wake community by downloading our app. Just search for Wake Wellness in the Apple or Android app store. And follow us on Instagram at The Wake Wellness. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Caroline Pickens and the team at Fresh Picked Studio. For more information, go to freshpickedstudio.com.